Hey everybody, Nathan King here from the Auburn Undercover Podcast. Want to take a second and tell you guys about one of our new sponsors, Homefield Apparel. Extremely excited to be working with them this football season and partnered with them. You've probably seen them blown up all over social media, everybody talking about them. What is Homefield Apparel though? It's a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis that designs incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. Homefield digs through the archives and history of your school to find unique logos, math thoughts, and moments to make thoughtful designs for your school. And one of, talking about your school, one of their most popular collections is the Auburn collection. They've got 17 pieces in total right now, including a brand new Auburn t-shirt and sweatshirt that launched over the weekend on October 9th, honoring the 1957 Auburn National Championship team. It was found by a postcard design way back when from 1957 of Aubie holding up that a 1957 Associated Press National Championship trophy. So super cool design. Be sure to go check it out. I love how comfortable their stuff is. My favorite is probably the Aubie crew neck sweatshirt of him pulling down the basketball nets. Um, they've got Auburn football and basketball stuff over there. That one's probably my favorite. Super comfortable to wear just loafing around the house or to wear outside. You can dress it up. Super nice design there. Be sure to go check them out, guys, homefieldapparel.com. We've got a promo code for you to get 15% off your first purchase using the code Auburn Undercover. That's all one word, all caps, Auburn Undercover at checkout at homefieldapparel.com. Welcome back, everybody. Another edition of the Auburn Undercover Podcast on the 24-7 Sports Network. My name is Nathan King, joined here by Jason Caldwell. Kind of our day after reactions, reviewing Auburn's 34-10 loss to Georgia inside Jordan-Hare Stadium. Not necessarily something on paper that is a super surprising result. Um, a three-score, three-plus score loss to what is now the number one team in the country in Georgia after Alabama lost to Texas A&M on Saturday. But Jason, we talked about it leading up all week to the game. Auburn is going to have to take advantage of opportunities that it had, you know, whether it was scoring, whether it was defense. Um, and in this instance, I think a lot more of those missed opportunities were on offense. We'll get into the defense a little bit later. But Georgia played like the number one team in the country, but Auburn didn't necessarily help the Bulldogs case because they had a few missed opportunities of their own. Yeah, I, you're, I, it's one of those strange games where – I don't think the score was indicative of of kind of how the game went. And Auburn played played fairly well, um, but it was you know especially drop passes um, and a couple of couple of plays where once again is it a blown assignment? Is it just a a really you know really good Georgia offense that that makes you so pay attention so much to the run <clears throat> to the run game that. You get a one-on-one -on -one shot down the field. I think it's some of that. I mean, you got to give them some credit too. But I thought, you know, um, the story of the game for me was was six or seven drop passes. That if if you catch half of those, you've probably added at least a touchdown um, in the first half. Maybe ten more points in the first half. You're sitting there looking at but potentially a 17-13 game at halftime and Georgia has to has to play things a little different in the second half. Now they got a great defense. They know, hey, running game, 17-3 lead coming out of the break and they get the ball. It's grinded out from then on. Um and they did go up top, but you know, it changed the way the whole game went. But yeah, it was missed opportunities, you're right. Um, you know, potential touchdown pass on the opening drive a couple of drops on a third down pass, a fourth down pass, you know, hey, 
potential maybe miss calling the end zone on a, would would have given you a first down at the two yard line there you know right before halftime um yeah he didn't but didn't take advantage of the, of the breaks you got uh, either so um all in all it was um i think a disappointing game for, for auburn but in reality it shows you exactly what we thought about this team you know could could the offensive line hold up against georgia could they run the football the answer was no. And were the wide receivers good enough to make plays down the field? Right now, that answer is no as well. Um, that's the two biggest takeaways from this game um, for me. And then, you know, maybe the third one too, questions about interior defensive line. How would they hold up? Um, they didn't hold up really well. We hadn't seen a whole lot of depth out of those, that, that position all season long. And in the second half, third quarter, fourth quarter, Georgia was basically running at will against Auburn. Um, and, you know, they resorted to putting in, you know, Marquise Robinson, true freshman who had not played all season long. They put him in the game. Um, so, yeah, I thought the, the really the three big question marks we had this season all came to a head against Georgia. Yeah, so pro football focus had it at seven drops for Auburn. Um, three of those from Demetrius Robertson, two from Sean Shivers, and then one apiece for Shedrick Jackson and John Samuel Shanker. Shanker's play was the one you were talking about um, in the end zone on that first drive. And after looking at it again, yeah, that, I mean, in real time, it looked a little bit tougher, and it was a tough catch. It was a difficult catch, but that I still think against, like you said, against yeah, a team like Georgia, it, it, you got to make. You're right, and, and it's a play that, you know, when you think about it, your, your only goal is to catch the football. You don't have to run anywhere after you catch. You turn around and catch it with your back to the goal line. It doesn't really matter. It's just, it's, you know, so that's one where I thought he played it. They played a little wrong. You, you turn around and catch the ball facing, you know, both hands up um, because you're not worried about, you know, running after the catch there. I thought he just misplayed it a little bit. But, you know, there were, you know, Shedrick Jackson drop on a third down that potentially could be in a 20, 25-yard play, hit, you know, right in the seam there. You know, Demetrius Robertson on a fourth down to keep a drive alive that you're already at the 40-yard line. Um, that's potentially a point-scoring drive right there. So, um, yeah, there, there were several big plays. And, you know, a Shivers drop led directly to three points. Um, the only interception that Bo Nix has thrown this year and broke a streak of, what, 250 or so passes that he'd had without interception. Yeah, and obviously an unfortunate break for him considering the ball was placed exactly where it was supposed to go. Would have converted a third down. I think that's something – we saw kind of the leftovers from the LSU game, targets for Shanker, targets for Demetrius Robertson, targets for Sean Shivers on third down, because all of that worked against LSU. Mike Bobo kind of drew it up that way. Then you get into this game, the same stuff that worked against LSU did not work against Georgia. Um, and particularly, I mean, we talked about it, but Bo Nix, his completion percentage would be much higher if you had, obviously, some of those drops. Um, I think his adjusted completion percentage would be like in the 80s if he had been able to make those. Um, but the same kind of scrambling ability that he had, um, the way he was able to kind of make magic against LSU by slipping in and out of tackles, wasn't the same result um, against Georgia. They were able to bring him down a lot more. He got sacked four times, um, just wasn't able to, to slip away as easily. And then you see in the Kentucky game with LSU, that's just kind of their thing right now. They're missing tackles all over the place. Um, so what do you think is the blueprint moving forward to the second half of the season for a guy like Bo Nix to, I, I, I hesitate to say, get back on track because he just needs to be consistent in some way, shape or form. Um, and I don't know if necessarily the, 
the Houdini running around trying to make plays like that, like Johnny Manziel is going to work for the rest of the season. Um, but I mean, how, how can he find some consistency, especially like what we just talked about? You don't have much of that from the wide receivers right now. Well, I think that's the key. I think he's doing what he has to do because the offense in, in its form right now isn't an offense that is allowing him to find guys staying in the pocket. Um, those guys aren't getting open. And when they are, they're not making plays. Um, and so because of that, um, and in reality, I mean, they ran the football well against LSU, but it wasn't great. It was okay. I mean, you look at what Kentucky did. Kentucky ran 260 yards against LSU and ran it from start to finish. Auburn didn't do that against LSU. Um, you know, right now, it's 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 a hard job playing quarterback for this offense because there's no threat past 10 or 15 yards down the field, and there's not a whole lot of plays made in the run game. That doesn't leave a whole lot of room. Um, basically, you're playing in, in a red zone the whole game. Um, that makes it difficult. And so right now, um, the biggest thing – that that would, you know, probably for Bo Nix would be to find somebody that would be become a guy that can be dependable catching passes. And Shinker's been that guy, but he's also had a couple of big drops the last two weeks for this offense too. Um, so I think that the biggest thing for Bo is he right now, he's doing whatever it takes to try to make a play um, in an offense that doesn't have anybody that's a playmaker. Um, you know, Tank Bixby is not a playmaker right now. Can he be one? Yes, he's got the ability to do so. And, you know, and it's, it's not only not all on the offensive line. Um, there were a couple of holes in the first half against Georgia um, that I thought Tank, if he cuts back, has some running room, and he kind of bounced it the other way. Um, those are those are plays you can't miss. And you play Georgia, you play Arkansas, whoever it is from now on. Um, this, this offense has to take advantage of every opportunity they get because there's not going to be a ton of them. Um, and, and they just didn't do that against Georgia. They did enough of it against LSU to win. But I think we see right now LSU is, is that's not a great football team. It's a good win for Auburn, but it's not a win over a team that that's, you know, is going to be there at the end. And you got several of those games left. Who knows how good Arkansas is? Um, we'll, we'll get a bit better picture on Saturday, but um, – you know, offensively, they're probably, you know, maybe similar to, to the Georgia team that you saw this past week. Yeah, and we saw them try to get Tank Bigsby, like you said. We saw them try to get him involved in the passing game. He had a few more targets this week than he normally does. Um, but there just wasn't that explosion. There wasn't that explosion for anybody. Um, this was the first time in a long while. I haven't looked at exactly the game by game and, and how many years it's been or whatever. But it's the first time Auburn hasn't had a run of double-digit yardage in a long time they didn't have a run go for more than i think the longest run of the day was eight yards um obviously that speaks to what georgia was able to do on the other side of the ball we mentioned it a little bit but the game plan was bottle up georgia's running attack make a former walk-on quarterback a backup in stetson bennett throw downfield and beat you on the road um they did a pretty good job of holding up that running game in the first half georgia's running backs weren't running wild in the first half at all really into the third quarter, it was kind of that, that one drive. I think they ran every single play for like 75 yards. They kind of beat Auburn in, into submission, but they forced Stetson Benham to beat him with his arm, and he certainly did that. He was 14 of 20, had that long touchdown pass. Um, obviously, you lose Smoke Monday. You didn't have a guy like Owen Papo. The pass rush, I think, struggled a little bit um, without a guy like T.D. Moultrie. 
but this was at least for me that was one of the more surprising elements of the game um was the fact that Stetson Bennett looked so good but a big part of it was because they didn't get a lot of pass rush on him I mean it 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 was the equivalent of of watching Mac Jones play quarterback last year for Alabama um the difference in in those games um when you're standing back there and there's no pressure EQ Leota had a little bit but you know, you mentioned no Smoke Monday, um, no Owen Pippo. Derek Hall seemed to be a little banged up as well. You're already without T.D. Moultrie. And and we didn't really see much of Romello Height until late in that game. It was basically E.Q. Leota and, and Caleb Johnson um, at those pass rush positions and not a whole lot of subs. Um, that made it almost impossible for Auburn to get pass rush and – um, when you're able to run the football and the other team knows how good you are at running it and you play action, I mean, it was pitch and catch. It was pitch and catch a lot of the day. And there were a couple of good, really good throws and a couple of really good catches. But that's the difference um, in, in what George is doing right now and what Auburn is, is that they had success running the football because of that offensive line and their backs are good. But they also, when they had opportunities to make plays, they made them in the passing game. And um, that's what you have to do. And, you know, it's just the same thing. I'm looking at Texas A&M from week to week. Texas A&M has less than 300 yards of offense against Mississippi State two weeks ago, throw for nearly 300 yards against Alabama and are making tough catches all over the field. You've got to make those plays to win those types of games, and Auburn didn't do it. Yeah, it's a balance, I think, of, you know, people talk about the talent of Georgia, obviously one of, if not the most talented team in terms of their pure roster recruiting rankings um, in the country, but it's also a balance of execution because you had a guy in Lad McConkey beat you for 60 yards. He's not necessarily the highest rated guy in the world coming from a quarterback in Stetson Bennett, not a very highly rated recruit. Um, but then at the same time, you had a guy like Darnell Washington go up and make sort of the kind of play that John Samuel Shanker should have made from that tight end position, just kind of a jump ball. So it's a combination of the two. You got to execute, but uh, you know it's obviously helps if you've got talent, but Auburn missed some opportunities to execute on its own. What did you make, Jason, of – I thought this was a comment that I don't think Gus Malzahn would have made. Um, and that's something we talk about all the time. But um, Harson saying that Georgia kind of has the blueprint where they want to be um, and saying that Kirby Smart has the program they want to be in. Um, just kind of what did you make of that? You know, Obviously, I didn't think it was a huge deal or anything like that. We're not saying it's like controversial or anything. But I just thought it was interesting for him to – assess kind of the sec landscape like that as a first timer in the league and say what they've got set up right now is, is where we're definitely trying to be here in a few years. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's something, I don't think it's a statement you make if you've been in a program for eight years, because you've had the opportunity to, to put that into practice. I think it's a, a statement you can make as a first year coach going, look, we know we got to get better. And it, it starts online of scrimmage. You mentioned, you know, Stetson Bennett, Lad McConkey they're able to make those plays because the guys in front of them because of that line of scrimmage. And, you know, you meant we were talking about Auburn's injury situation, you know, not a whole lot of depth behind those guys. Well, Jamari Sawyer gets hurt in the game and they bring in a former five-star offensive tackle to play left tackle, Roger Johnson, Roger Jones. I mean, that's the difference is they're replacing a five-star with a five-star on the line of scrimmage. And you go, Hey, maybe he's not quite, but, but talent level wise, that guy can hit the ground running. Um, that's where you've got to be. And you may not be replacing five-star guy with five-star guy, but you got to be replacing them with guys that you feel like can get the job done. And you, know, you look and, and there's 
they hadn't played it. They hadn't played a ton of guys. There hadn't been nearly as much depth shown on this team. They've you know stuck with starters on special teams a lot. Uh, we've seen really seven offensive linemen. Had not seen a huge rotation on the defensive line, uh, you know, this season. And obviously, look at linebacker. I mean, and we've seen a little bit of of maybe the next two guys. So we've seen about five total linebackers. Um, and so, you know, those that's where you got to be is where you can plug and place when injuries occur, when situations arise, that you don't have a big drop off. And, um, you know, that's, you know, obviously talent levels got to improve across the board. I and mean, that's, that's job number one. Speaking of which, Jason wanted to touch on this real quick before we go. It was a really big recruiting weekend. Um, you were kind of pulling double duty, obviously paying attention to the team, but but working with a lot of those recruits, just, you know, not necessarily needing to name, you know, name after name of all the big guys that were there. Obviously, there were a lot of blue chips on campus, but just what were kind of your impressions of what they got to see, the way they were treated, the way they took in the environment and the way they took in Auburn's recruiting um, over the weekend? Uh, I thought it was as good a, a group that Auburn's had on campus in a couple of years, obviously none last year because of the pandemic even back to 2019, I mean, there were a, a, a large number of high-quality four- and five-star prospects on campus, a lot of those guys on the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, you start thinking about that. Obviously, you get a commitment from Drew Bobo, uh, Mike Bobo's son, who's a three-star offensive lineman from Auburn High School, um, very versatile guy, could play any of the five positions. I mean, he's the, he has the potential to be a 6'5", 300-pound center, which gives you a little bit different take and Nick Brahms is playing well, but it gives you a different – you know, you have a, that guy with that much size in the middle. But, no, they had a, a – I thought a really good recruiting weekend. They showed the atmosphere, the fans showed up, all those things. But it also showed guys, look, we, we need you here. And that's as, as much as anything. I think that's a big deal. But, you know, it's all about relationships. Um, I think they've done a much better job in the last few months of cultivating those getting guys on campus, a guy like Mikael Williams, five-star from, you know, Hardaway High in, in Columbus who's committed to USC, um, defensive lineman. He was on campus. I mean, um, you know, just those guys, getting them into Auburn and, and, and showing them what you got, it's a big deal. We'll see how much it pays off down the road. But I thought it was uh, easily the best day of recruiting that Auburn's had, including – you know, the picnic, all these things they've done on Saturday was probably the most important day. We'll see how much it it moves forward with, you know, offensive linemen like S. and Harris Jr. at Auburn High School, uh, Tay Woody, who's committed to Florida State from Lafayette. Those are guys that were on campus and saw it. Um, and I think it's going to have an impact on them down the road. Not to get too much into like individual commitment dates, but with the, you know, it's like only two months now or so from the early signing period. Um, is this going to be a slim class here in December like it is right now and, and, and going to kind of bulk up in those couple months after that? Or do you expect a few more commitments between now and December? I think they'll add a few more. Um, you know, I, yeah, I mentioned Essen Harris. I think he's got it that a couple of weeks away from a commitment. And, you know, Auburn's right there in the mix for him uh, to add another offensive lineman. I think, you know, if you're that position, you're an offensive lineman, you got to look at Auburn as a place to go. Hey, everybody wants to play early. That's kind of the goal. Um, you're going to have that opportunity, um, you know, here, um, you know, for this team and this program moving forward. So, yeah, I would expect a few more. I don't know that we'll have a run to get up to, you know, 24, 25 or something like that in the early signing period. But, 
Um, you gain a couple more and have a, you know, 15, 16 man early signing class and you know, get some of those guys in, in, um, yeah, that'd be a good start to it. Then you kind of reset to see what you needed to finish in February and, um, you know, how many you decide to use, you know, that you get back because of the transfers, it could be a little bit bigger class than we anticipated coming in. And so, um, yeah, I think it, it could be an interesting December, but obviously, uh, maybe a, maybe a wild January, February. Yeah, and there's some really big pieces we'll have to keep an eye on. Like you said, five-star defensive lineman Michael Williams coming to the USC right now. Um, baseball and football prospect, an interesting one, Drake Bowen, five-star linebacker is a guy um, that intrigues me a lot. Auburn's making a big push for him. Um, Notre Dame is kind of the other school involved there. So you and Keith had great coverage on Sunday and after the game, so we'll be keeping track of that. Moving ahead to the early signing period, obviously Auburn plays Arkansas next. We'll have all kinds of preview coverage of that this week. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Auburn Undercover podcast. If you guys enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star review. The intro and outro bumper music is by Beats by Mordecai. You can find them on Twitter, SoundCloud, Instagram. Until the next episode, we will talk to you guys later. Everybody have a great start to the week.